Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SideRetiredPod for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. The King of New York has returned to the Big Apple. I don't know what else you want to say because I'm just going to hand the floor off to Jack Stappenbeck because you got a happy episode in that your big time free agent has been retained. Aaron Judge, a massive nine year, $360 million. I'm not going to even chime in. I'm not even going to ask you how you're doing today because I know exactly how you're doing today. The floor is yours, Jack. But I will also point out James Tausig, who's the anti Aaron Judge voice of reason slash I don't know what we're going to call him there but he is not with us today James will be on an episode I believe Friday he will be back with us so we'll get obviously his perspective there but Jack take it away following the shenanigans of December 6th with Jonathan Heyman of the prestigious New York Post who have had multiple guests appear on side retired plug there he had the Aaron Judge camp baited him like you know an unbelievable an all-time clip telling him it appears Judge would be signing with the Giants, inking a move that swindled another $40 million for Aaron James Judge. Twitter was in chaos. It appeared that Judge would be fulfilling the prophecy, you know, mirroring Barry Bonds, returning to his hometown and his favorite boyhood team, the San Francisco Giants. But Tomas Arson Judge would not. They put the rumors, they squashed them almost immediately. Seven minutes, he was rumored to be a giant. And then Michael Kay, Andy Martino, Jack Curry all said that it's still in play. But regardless, I still think many Yankee fans were worried at that point. It seemed like maybe the Yankees were on the outside looking in. It was not official. They're more so being used as a chip to, to drive up the Giants' price. But, you know, still in the wee hours, Aaron Judge still decided to tell the Yankees, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. And then at 5 a.m. Western time, John P. Romorosi of MLB Network broke the news. Nine years, $360 million, likely a captain title coming with it. A An unforeseeable, you know, back in April when he turned down the $213 million contract, several people um, either thought the Yankees should have added more money. Maybe there were some who thought judges being greedy and wouldn't have gotten any more. Well, they clearly were wrong as he got an additional $150 million in two years added on to what his original asking price was. Quite the an all-time bet by Judge. Um, you know, I guess the immediate reaction by many Yankee fans is, what is this going to look like? How is this contract going to age? It is nine years, taking him to his age 40 season. So certainly, or yeah, his age 40 yeah. season. So certainly uh, a very, very daunting thing over Yankee land. For my two cents on that, I'll just say this. I think Aaron Judge is an overall athlete. Is is spectacular. He's a specimen of a human being. You can see he's not just a baseball, you know, a power fiend. You know, that's not what he feeds off of. He's an all-around player. He plays defense. He gets on base at a high rate. He can hit for contact. He hits for power better than anyone else, perhaps, in the history of the game. So he's an all-around, well-rounded player. And when we look at this guy, you know, he's 
the king of exit velocity as in addition to King of New York, as Dylan mentioned. He's reigned supreme on that since 2016. And the stat cast are, you know, this year, he had probably the single best stat cast season of all time, leading the league in every single expected set uh, ever created, breaking the league record in actual web barrels, hard hit rate. So certainly, a, uh, he seems like he was built in a lab in that re respect. So even accounting for age, you know, over nine years, Judge would still be at worst an average, if hopefully slightly above average, come year nine. And, you know, Giancarlo Stanton, who's been plugged into that DH hole, ends his contract in 2028. So following that season, if God forbid Judge can no longer mound right field in Yankee Stadium, he would have to switch there. But also considering the short amount of territory he covers in right field, given Harrison Bader and shortly either Jason Dominguez or another uh, center fielder can take over that spot, Judge can remain in right field. You know, he has his section right there behind him. And then hopefully, eventually a plaque joining him in Monument Park and a C on his jersey. It seemed like both of those were locked up in addition to the gargantuan amount of money he signed when he's when the deal is eventually finalized sometime this week. I think it's also worth noting that Aaron Judge's contract, if you're signing him right now as a Yankee fan, A, it's not your money. Why are you worried about it? It's too much money. It's too many years. B, the thing with all of these long-term contracts, whether it's Cano, whether it's someone like that, where they sign for 10 years, as long as you're good for those first six or so years, it doesn't matter what you do in year seven, eight, and nine. The Yankees win the World Series in 2024. I don't think any Yankee fan will be complaining in 2030, 2029, whatever. 2032. 20, 20, okay, so in 2031, I don't think a Yankee fan is complaining if Aaron Judge carried them in the World Series in 2024. I think that's just a plain and simple fact that Yankee fans winning cures everything. Steven Strasburg, as much as the rest of baseball loves to criticize the Nationals, saying, oh, that contract is horrific. When asking Nationals fans, they say Steven Strasburg is an icon in their city and they adore him. And he's like a Mount Rushmore, Washington National because he delivered them the 2019 championship. And that wasn't or 20. What are you there? 2019. Yeah, right. let's go. Um, and even he signed that contract after 2019. So it wasn't even a part of this contract. So judge in a similar fashion will have the opportunity, a homegrown Yankee. It is good for the sport of baseball that Aaron Judge is a New York Yankee. As much as as a Met fan, I wanted to see Jack come on this episode and cry about Aaron Judge being a San Francisco Giant. He's the new Derek Jeter. He's our generation's version of the captain of the Yankees. The generation before us had Derek Jeter. I know we saw a little bit of Jeter, but we saw sort of the back end. More people who were around 25 to 30 saw that Jeter. People before that saw uh, Manningly. Don Manningly. You had Mickey Mantle. You had Joe DiMaggio. You had Babe Ruth. Yankees fans throughout history, and then you have obviously guys like Lou Gehrig and a bunch of other players who have been Yankee legends for their entire careers. But this generation has Aaron Judge. And as much as we've floated the idea, kill the baby bombers, get rid of Glaber, everyone else is gone from that team. Aaron Judge is different. Aaron Judge needed to stay on this team. He needed to be the face of this franchise. He needs to be the two-hitter going forward now and forever. He needs to be 99 Maybe there's a Hall of Fame plaque with his number on it, with his Yankee logo, with his gap tooth, because they better put a gap tooth on that plaque, even though he's fixed that now. And he's gone Hollywood now that he's made $360 million. But Aaron Judge, I think from the get-go, I know people were worried. And yes, there were the rumors of there was that staged TMZ video where he's like, I'm in San Francisco visiting my family. And everyone's like, no, you're not. You're talking with the Giants. And then there's apparently the rumor that the Padres I wonder who predicted the Padres would swoop in at the last minute. Maybe go back two episodes and you'll figure out what happened there. But they apparently offered him, was it 10 years, 400, I think yep. was the 
offer. So the Padres obviously took the exact same money they were offering Trey Turner and said, we'll give it to you. And Aaron Judge also said no to that money. So it remains to be seen. And obviously an episode for a different day. What are the Padres going to do? With Judge returning to the Yankees, it made sense. And props to a guy that we have criticized heavily, Hal Steinbrenner, because apparently when push came to shove, and it remains to be seen whether Brian Cashman was like, nope, this is as much as we're doing. And Hal said, that's not happening. We're re-signing our guy. But Hal Steinbrenner, apparently from Italy, got on the phone and asked Aaron Judge point blank, do you want to be a Yankee? And Aaron Judge said, yes. And then they said, what's it got to take to get it done? And he said, nine years. And Hal said, bang, we'll match the Giants offer. And apparently that's how it went. Yeah, I, I think the hardball tactic with Cashman, I think it got its breaking point, you know, especially when the relationship with Judge there definitely has taken back. But thankfully, he is signed now, so we don't have to worry about that. I think I'll touch on the two things you mentioned. One, about terms of being an all-time Yankee. I think Aaron Judge, on a parade basis, is certainly there already. In terms of OPS+, plus, I think in, in the context of war, I think that's now heavily brought up in the Hall of Fame conversation. You know, if you look at his war per games, you know, per uh, average per season, Judge is fourth in that behind Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, and Babe Ruth, and is behind the same three guys in OPS+. Plus. So certainly he just shows how good of a career he's had, especially given the legacy and the history of the New York Yankees. And then in terms of the economic uh, standpoint with the contract, there's like two things to account for there. One is that these, you know, these ridiculous contracts that we see, the, the, the calculus for them is that, you know, Aaron Judge this past year is probably worth somewhat close to a $100 million player, just in terms of in perform- his extraordinary on-the-field performance, and then also in terms of the vast revenue and media coverage his Chase for 62 brought in. So if you had paid him, you know, the $20 million he did, that is a ma- massive profit for the Yankees. Now, of course, you can't really count on the past profits to justify a future contract, but regardless, Judge, you know, he might not have the same type of season. He's still bringing in ridiculous media eyes. He is the biggest if, uh, presence in New York, uh, not just in baseball, across the four major sports. And he has this, you know, a larger-than-life aura that just echoes, you know, tradition and also a new wave in terms of the modern day of baseball. He's just perfect for the New York Yankees. So for having them pay the $40 million, not only is justifiable by a a baseball standpoint, but in terms of a marketing one as well, versus then when you look towards year nine, Winters is not quite the player he is now. You know, they might be playing overpaying, but that can be justified by underpaying right now. And you also don't have no idea, you know, come year nine, we saw, you know, a 40, 40 year players, 40 AAV were a thing of the past or not a thing of the past, sorry, a unheard of idea before, you know, we saw these short term deals for pitchers and now judge just got one over a nine year stretch. So, you know, we're going to have no idea how players are being paid via free agency come the year nine when Judge is up for free agency again. It's not really you know, fair to compare now because by that point, I think it's pretty fair to say you might see not just like an all-star caliber, maybe even a little less is making upwards of that just due to the exponential growth of MLB. I think a couple of things to point out that before we go on to mention, there were a couple of signings today that didn't need to occur. With Aaron Judge, I'd almost go as far as say he's the face of baseball. It's not only just the face of New York or the face of New York baseball, but the fact that he just hit 62 home runs. He's a larger than life six foot seven. He is the king of New York, and that helps because I think there's a difference between playing in Kansas City and doing that chase versus doing it in New York chasing Roger Maris, that sort of thing. I guess you could also argue Shohei Otani is probably on par with Aaron Judge. For the face of baseball, especially if Otani ends up leaving and going to the Dodgers, to the Mets, I assume the Yankees are not going to be in on Otani now. I think that's safe to say because you already have three $300 million contracts. So Garrett Cole's got knocked out in two years. That's in, that's a definitely a story for another day. And then the other thing I want to mention to Yankee fans, Aaron Judge slumped for a month in the playoffs and got booed severely. 
Aaron Judge is not going to hit 62 home runs again every single year now and in the future. When Aaron Judge next year hits around 35 to 40 and has a solid season, maybe doesn't win the MVP, but is still a good Major League Baseball player, don't say, oh, he got the money and now he stinks. Oh, he's not going to be as good. We overpaid. Oh, we should trade him and get Otani this offseason because I guarantee those WFAN callers and the high schoolers that we deal with on a daily basis, there will be a comment I guarantee by April 10th, Jack. Someone will say we shouldn't have signed Judge. I guarantee that. Someone will say we you shouldn't heard, have paid Judge. You two yeah. the same people who on April 12th, before Aaron Judge's first home run, said the pressure of his contract was getting to him and he was going to have a slump for the entirety of the 2022 season. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just the same kind of deal with these kind of uh, contracts. I will say now, just to end the Judge point, I think this is a good, uh, you know, just way to put a period on it. Um, if Aaron Judge averages 31 home runs per season, over the course of the contract, that would bring him to 508 tickets into the Hall of Fame. I think that's a very difficult, difficult, but doable task, especially if you're talking about, you know, this year, you know, 2020, uh, 2021, he really just fell shy of the 40 mark and he missed games due to COVID-19. This year, he obviously well surpassed it. So if you get those multiple, maybe one or two 40 home, uh, 40 homer seasons, maybe he gets back to 50 for a third time in his career. That's when you're getting it to be even more doable and would certainly I think as of now, just given this past season and the per rate statistics, Judge has a Hall of Fame case. But if you're talking, once you get to that 500 clip, it's a sure thing and one of those monuments that's guaranteed entry into the Hall of Fame. And now we get to find out whether he's going to be Don Mattingly or Derek Jeter. You've got nine years now to win a championship in New York, plain and simple. I know Yankee fans, especially yourself, you'd love 500 homers, a Hall of Fame career. But I think you look back on this contract, if all of a sudden the Yankees didn't make a World Series with Aaron Judge, it's another Don Mattingly situation a couple years down the line. We will also acknowledge as much as we love Aaron Judge, teams are busy. The winter meetings are wrapping up tonight with the Rule 5 draft, but other teams did get busy, including the Boston Red Sox, signing Masataka Yoshida to a $100 million contract as the richest contract ever for a Japanese player, an international player in general, I believe, for a position player side. They also signed closer Kenley Jansen to a two-year $32 million contract. The Red Sox have been the king of the rumors this offseason being floated around with every single player. They're still flirting with Xander Bogarts. What's happening in Boston? You know, it's, I think it's you know hard to say. With I, Even as of now, after this flurry of moves, um, they're still at best a third-place team. I think some probably, probably more likely a fourth-place team. Um, Bogarts, it seems that there was momentum in that regard um, over today. But, uh, you know, with given how the judge situation played out, I think no one's really giving credence to that. Just knowing how agents, especially Scott Boris, can manipulate these guys on Twitter to get their clients more extra tens of millions of dollars. But focusing on what did happen, I thought the Kenley Jansen signing was extremely poor. Um, $60 million for any reliever, let alone one who's past his prime and 35 years old. Typically, it's not a recipe for success. You know, it's not Edwin Diaz where you're signing him $20 million to be the best closer in baseball during the prime of his career. You're given one that's 35 past his heyday and, you know, is you're trying to resurrect a bullpen that was terrible last year. And we've seen, you know, a team like the New York Yankees just got Tommy Canley who throws one stellar pitch for $5 million a year, and they can craft that and utilize that in a specific way. You know, if you're trying to bring up a in, – build a bullpen from the bottom up paying one guy 60 million dollars let alone a 35 year old one is not the recipe for success and then uh, Masataki Yoshida the outfielder from Japan I think he has a high ceiling 
but an even lower floor, just given that he's really a one trick pony in terms of um, the hit tool. And I think over that, it's more so uh, it's contact focused. It seems like he does not strike out, but at the expense of not hitting for power. And then also is a zero in the field where he'd be stuck in left field. Fenway Park, I guess that's more so doable just given the less territory they have to get. But I, I imagine just talking, it can't be easy having to read balls off the green monster, play that. It could get team harder than it appears, especially when we saw the numerous outfield blunders there this past season. So overall, it seems like it's not sufficient. You know, they certainly need to bring back um, bring back Xander Bogarts. A Rafael Devers extension could be pending, but, you know, the the, the, the Sox seem to be moving. Um, I think now it's just how are they going to go out and who are they going to sign to join the rotation? Is it going to be someone like Carlos Rodon or a back-end starter who's really just going to be there to eat innings? And then the Chicago Cubs fans have definitely had an emotional past 24 hours. They signed Cody Ballinger and Jameson Tyone, who seemed like a great thing. However, they've lost the last member of the 2016 Cubs roster. Wilson Contreras, there are rumors of Astros, Guardians, Twins. He probably goes to the worst possible place if you're a Cubs fan. That's the St. Louis Cardinals. It's the reversal of the Jason Hayward, who was a Cardinal, eventually signed with the Cubs and won a World Series with the Cubs. Wilson Contreras is now the Cardinals heir to Yadier Molina a solid move there on their behalf he's a young athletic catcher who knows if eventually he has to move off catcher but for now I don't think that's any of the Cardinals concerns it's a five-year 85 million dollar contract certainly a fair value for him if there's anything you want to throw in or you're good on Contreras no I think um I think you covered it um I think you know Contreras can can be overrated just because people don't really equate um defensive metrics into the catcher um evaluations like really they should it's not like most positions where defense is kind of like a bonus and an add-on that with catcher, you know, the guy who's behind the plate for every single pitch, just as involved as the pitcher is, you really can't undervalue how important it is and like how much, how many runs it can save to have a strong-minded defensive catcher. And with one who is not focused like Contreras, you know, it sometimes leads to guys who are bat first to be overrated. But with that being said, I thought it was a nice contract, certainly a plus bat that go that goes uh, in between you know, Paul Goldschmidt and the Leonardo and a various, you know, a Cardinals lineup that's looking to get over the hump of winning the NL Central, maybe doing something in the playoffs. I think this is the right way to do it, especially given um, Molina's poor offensive performance last year. If you're getting, you know, a, not only just an average, but a plus back to replace a below average one, I think it can go a long way. And uh, we'll see how the Cardinals navigate the rest of their offseason after getting their uh, replacement for their Hall of Fame catcher. And then the last move that happened today, other than a couple of minor ones that we'll skip over now, including Cole Tucker signing with the Rockies, Aledmus Diaz signing with the Oakland Athletics. Brooks Rowley was acquired by the New York Mets as he's now going to be their left-handed replacement for Joely Rodriguez. Has a nice-looking slider. He's paid $5 million, which apparently is too much for the Tampa Bay Rays to afford. But the last big move that happened today, the Mets got their second starting pitcher of free agency, Jose Quintana, two years, $26 million, 13 mil a year. An interesting move on the Mets' behalf because I don't think the Mets are done even though they have five starting pitchers. I know initially when this news broke, little upset because I said, this isn't Bassett, this isn't Kodai Senga, this isn't even Nathan Avaldi. This is a guy that's had one to two decent years. And other than that, has kind of been a bust ever since he left Chicago back in 2015, 2016, I believe around that time. However, when you look at it now, $13 million, especially for a team who is now officially the first team in North American sports history to have a payroll above $300 million. $13 million is not going to move the needle. I don't think the Mets would mind or care if Quintana eventually becomes the five-starter or is even pushed out of the rotation. Obviously, I think going on to opening day, he's going to be in the starting rotation because he's being paid like a starting pitcher. 
but you now have Verlander and Scherzer getting owed $87 million. Woof. You then have Jose Quintana getting paid 13 and Carlos Carrasco getting paid 12. You've now locked in four starting pitchers who are dependable, solid veterans. Yes, they're old, but they're going to get the job done. The fifth spot right now is Tyler McGill and David Peterson. And as much as I joke with Jack about Tyler McGill being the 2023 and 2024 and 2025 Cy Young Award winner, we have to realize he's not dependable. He had a five ERA last year. He's shown signs of promises, and I would not mind if Tyler McGill is given an opportunity to start, but it should not just be handed to him and David Peterson walking into camp like, oh, the five spot is up for grabs and you two are the only one for it. I wouldn't mind if they end up battling with Jose Quintana for the five spot, but that's going to require another free agent for the New York Mets. Is it Kodai Senga? Is it Chris Bassett? I know both of those guys are now going to get $100 million at least, considering Taiwan Walker and Jamison Tyone approached the $75 million mark. But Jack, do you think the Mets are done? I know Brandon Nimmo is still sitting out there, but the Mets, I think, still have some moves to make. We'll, we'll exclude like re-signing some random relievers in order to fill out a bullpen. But is this their last quote-unquote big move of the offseason? we can ever call the Mets done especially when Brandon Nimmo remains a free agent um I don't think they're even done on the starting pitching front as you mentioned um whether you know David Peterson I don't know if he's going to be the five-starter going in or maybe as you mentioned you know Kodai saying it seems like he has an extensive market the Mets um might want to you know cut their losses there and say you know um we have five guys we can depend on maybe not as strong as the rotation we had going to last year but we have five very solid pitchers um, a very deep rotation, uh, excellent depth. As you mentioned, like Tyler McGill, if he's your sixth starter, who's either in the pen or starting out in AAA, I think that's a very, very overall um, strong rotation. I believe Fangraph still projects them to be the highest, um, you know, through next year. So while Carlos Rodon does remain a free agent, which plays into that calculus, um, it certainly is a feat to be the pre product to be the current uh, number one, despite losing Jacob DeGrom. But as you mentioned, you know, there certainly are not done. I think uh, in addition to Brandon Nemo, you might see an additional offensive splash. Um, Steve Cohen, I believe the payroll right now is right under 300 million. So we're going to see how far he wants to pass a tax that's been named after him due to his, you know, um, maddening ability to want to ex- super, super exceed it. So I'm kind of excited to see what goes down. Um, a fun day today, while not as chaotic as last year, I think the past, you know, the, the first winter meeting since 2019 certainly lived up to expectations seeing the vast number of signings. I think the fact that the trade market hasn't even been touched yet, I think is kind of telling in terms of many teams, maybe the Mets included, have several options in that route that they could want to go to if they still seek improvements. I think adding on to that point, maybe I'm okay with Verlander to, or wow, that's going to take some getting used to, not including Jacob DeGrom's name in the Mets rotation. First time I've done that. Verlander, Scherzer, Carrasco and Quintana can be locked in and then you sign a guy that competes with Peterson and McGill for the fifth spot doesn't have to be anything major but just a proven big league starter that could become a swingman. I'll throw a couple names out there including Ross Stripling Seth Lugo apparently wants to be a starting pitcher again I would completely welcome Seth Lugo back with open arms to be that type of swingman potentially fill the fifth starter spot if he's able to prove himself in free agency Trevor Williams Dylan Bundy None of these names are going to excite you. Chad Cool, Mike Miner, none of these guys are amazing, but they are going to compete and push David Peterson and Tyler McGill to basically tell those guys, your spot in the rotation is not guaranteed, but go out and perform in spring training and there's a decent shot. Plus, knowing Steve Cullen, and we've mentioned this on the podcast in the past, come July, 
if the Mets rotation is solid and they need another ace-like potential pitcher, I know most people think of Shohei Otani as the bat, but Shohei Otani, the pitcher, will probably be the best pitcher traded at the trade deadline in 2023. So you also have to factor that in at the trade deadline if McGill and Peterson aren't living up to their hype at the middle of the season. But yes, the winter meetings are over. Of course, this does not mean free agency is over. Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Danby Swanson, Brandon Nimmo, and Carlos Rodon are the big five free agents left now that the huge, huge guys in DeGrom, Judge, Berlander, Trey Turner, Edwin Diaz, and Wilson Contreras are off the board. Again, lots of trades to be made. Jack, James, and I will be back, as always, Friday morning, giving you another episode. Might not have an interview this week just because most people in the baseball industry are at the winter meetings unless they're traveling on Thursday, which is when we normally record an interview. But we guarantee and we promise that next week we will make up for that for having at least two interviews for you guys down the line. But Jack, unless there's anything else you want to throw in, the King of New York has returned. A happy episode that could have gone really bad has turned out really good for you. All good. All righty. So until the next time, the side is retired. <laughs>